Welcome again to Metamorphosis, the podcast of Trinity United Methodist Church in Piedmont, Missouri, where we share the unchanging love of Jesus to change people's lives. I'm your host, Eric Santel. In this episode, I'm interviewing Mark Hackett. Mark Hackett is the director of a nonprofit called Operation Broken Silence that works with people in Sudan to try to provide them with resources they need to advance their society and their country. Um, Sudan is a very war-torn region in Africa, just south of Egypt, and uh, near, I think, the eastern part of Africa, or yes, on the eastern coast of Africa. A very large country, very diverse, as Mark mentions in this interview. Um, But for 30, 40 years now, Sudan has gone through a cycle of different civil wars and civil unrest, and um, even the genocide in Darfur um, in the 2000s. And so Mark and his organization works to uh, help people in this country. He's also a devout Christian um, who writes about his faith and writes about Christianity and especially American evangelicalism. Um, So we get into some of that as, you know, I asked Mark about his uh, work in Sudan and also about his thoughts on Christian discourse, um, the subject of one of his recent essays on Christianity. So let's get to the interview. Um, Mark, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast. You know, could you briefly introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah. Um, so I'm uh, Mark Hackett. Live in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and married uh, to my to my wife Olivia for, gosh, going on almost 13 years now. Uh, we have two kids, and uh, that's that's just a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, my my day job is I'm the executive director for Operation Broken Silence. Um, we're a nonprofit that works primarily with teachers and healthcare workers in Sudan and trying to get them uh, more financial resources and training and things they need to to move to move their communities forward in a, in a situation where there's a lot of oppression and 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 active warfare and yeah and on the side you know I guess like all millennials I have my little side hustle if it can be called that <laughs> if it can be called that um where I write and I uh, talked to a few experts about uh, the Christian faith and American church culture and some of the uh, some of the good things and some of the challenging things uh, we as Christians are are dealing with with today. Um, and yeah, so that's me. <laughs> yeah. And so Sudan, you know, this is in uh, Africa, you know, just south of Egypt, correct? Um, just trying mm-hmm. to help our listeners orient a little bit. Um, and, you know, Sudan has a pretty troubled history of the last several decades, but what is the situation in Sudan right now? Yeah, the uh, it's it's interesting. The situation in Sudan is better than it has been in the past in some ways, but it's also a lot more complicated than it's ever been. Um, so over the past several years, there's been a, a peaceful revolution in Sudan to try to uproot um, the the current regime, which has a which historically has had a very harsh view of the country. Um, Sudan is one of the one of the most diverse countries in the world. There's something like 600 different ethnic groups, um, just as many languages. Um, you know, it's a Muslim majority country, but has a a growing Christian um, and atheist population. Um, and historically, over the past 30 years, the regime has tried to uh, uh, Islamicize the country um, with a, a pretty extreme 
uh, extreme form of Islam and also Arabize the country, which is to, you know, make Sudan essentially a country governed strictly by some of the, some of the elite Arab tribes. Um, and yeah, so a lot of the people we work in, with in Sudan are, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, are people who, who are in some of the war affected areas, uh, essentially people groups, the Sunnis government has tried to, uh, to push out of the country or, or just to, to wipe out altogether. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, there's been a revolution in Sudan the past few years and some of the, some of the regime elements have been uprooted, um, but there are still some some that remain, um, and the military remains uh, nominally in control of Sudan, um, Sudan today. But the the good news is is that at least in the parts of Sudan we work in, things are pretty quiet and have been for the past few years. Um, there's a there's a ceasefire in place that has allowed a lot of our Sunni's partners to to start looking at how to expand expand what they're doing. Um, and, you know, with that comes all kinds of, you know, new fundraising challenges on our end and, and, and all kinds of, of, of interesting things, but yeah, but yeah, Sudan, uh, you know, again, things are very, very complicated right now. Um, uh, but things have, have marginally improved the, the past few years. Sure. Yeah. And are you working primarily in Darfur in that region or? Yeah, so we're mostly in the Nuba Mountains, which is on the kind of like the Sudan, South Sudan border area. Um, and, you know, there there's been some similar things in Nuba that, that happened in Darfur, um, which, you know, there was the the Darfur genocide in the in the in the 2000s um, and technically in some ways is still still going on today. Um, and the the Nuba people groups in the southern part of Sudan have have also faced pretty severe government oppression and and outright attempts to to destroy their communities. Um, so so there's a lot of overla overlap between the the Nuba Mountains and and Darfur. Um, but yeah, that's that's where we are. Okay. So how can we help in Sudan? You know, what does you know? You mentioned it a little bit, but could you go in a little more detail about what Operation Broken Silence does and how we you know listening might be able to help as well? Yeah, so there, uh, so we do have a suite of programs that we don't talk about publicly for safety reasons. <laughs> um, that that, that, yeah, there are some some people we work with uh, in Sudan who are in some really high risk areas, and our number one priority is is keeping them safe. But the the things I can talk about, um, kind of our two big public program buckets are education and healthcare. Um, so, for example, we support. Um, two schools in Yida refugee camp, which is one of the larger camps that um, different people from the Nuba Mountains have fled into over the years as the war has kind of ebbed and flowed. Um, and those two schools make up essentially the backbone of the whole education system in Yida. So, so we support uh, 24 Sudanese teachers there uh, who serve between 900 and 1,000 students a year. Um, and then on the healthcare front, there's one hospital, um, in this region of Sudan, they have 400 beds for a population of about 1.3 million people. So, you know, you can kind of imagine that they need all the help they can get. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so we, we partner with Sudanese leaders who work in, in institutions like those to, to help serve their people, um, to not just expand education and healthcare access, but also deepen the the quality of it. 
Um, so the easiest ways people can, you know, help us continue that work. Um, the, the, the big thing, uh, we always like to ask of people is to set up a small, a small monthly donation. Um, you know, a, most of our Sunnis partners, we're the only outside support they have. Um, so a monthly gift to them can be really, really transformative because it's, it's consistent support that they can rely on. Um, but if you, you know, if you aren't in a position to, to give monthly right now, or are looking to maybe just, you know, dip your toe in the water before jumping, <laughs> before jumping in all the way, um, you can just make a one-time donation, uh, at our website, uh, which is, uh, operationbrokensilence.org. Um, and we'll make sure that, 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 that gets over to our Sudanese partners. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, segue into a different topic, you know, you mentioned that you write about Christianity and, um, you know, do conversations like this about mm -hmm. Christianity. So um, recently you wrote this uh, essay about the state of Christian discourse. So what do you mean by Christian discourse and what is its state? Yeah, so, you know, generally speaking, discourse is how people talk uh, or write to each other. Um, it usually refers to communication around bigger ideas and more serious issues, often kind of in more public settings. Um, and that plays out in, you know, lots of different ways. It's between individuals, um, people inside institutions talking to each other, um, you know, people representing their institutions in a debate or conversation. Uh, with people in in other institutions, the 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 list can go on and on. But when we think of Christian discourse, you know, we take those examples and just narrow them down to Christian context. So just to to give a few examples, we can think about uh, something as small as a church having like a quarterly congregational meeting where different leaders and members present um, information on just how the church is doing and and ask and answer some questions. Um, could also be something like a Southern Baptist pastor, uh, you know, talking to maybe a Catholic priest or someone in the Anglican church or, you know, one of the seemingly in endless other options of Christianity that we have these days. Um, you know, you could also think about you know, quote unquote, elite Christians um, in academic or, or church spaces who have large online followings talking to each other. Um, I guess, you know, you could say this conversation we're having now <laughs> would be considered a small part of uh, uh, Christian discourse. But but yeah, Christian discourse, I mean, it really boils down to how we as Christians talk to each other um, inside and between our churches, our institutions, uh, our denominations, um, or lack thereof, if you are at a, an, an, at an independent church or something. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> I guess it depends on where you look, but, you know, there are plenty of examples of really poor Christian discord. <laughs> um, I mean, Twitter is a, a great example Sure. <laughs> discourse. Um, I mean, thinking about people like Christian Cobes Dumay, you know, and Beth Allison Barr, I mean, they, I know that they've gotten into some dialogue in Twitter with other Christians or people who claim to be Christian mm. who talk to them and say things to them that are just really shocking uh, to hear from yeah. someone, especially someone who self identifies as a Christian. Um, so, 
just kind of, I guess, broad picture, you know, 30,000 foot view, you know, do you feel like the state of Christian discourse is good, bad, ugly? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. um, You know, I'm really kind of hesitant to say like, here's kind of where big picture Christian discourse is. I think it is fair to say that we have some pretty serious problems right now. Um, I think between the Trump years and COVID, um, there were some things exposed in different parts of um, the American church that uh, were, were not healthy and in a lot of ways were, were really destructive. And it feels like we're still dealing with the aftermath of a lot of those exposures. But, I, you know, I do think, and this is something I wrote about in my piece, um, you know, I think if we put that question of how Christian dis- discourse is going into our own local context, um, I think that can can really be eye-opening, um, and it can maybe even help us understand some things happening at the, at the national level. Um, so just to, I guess, give a, a few examples of how you you know, you go about doing that. So I think of my, uh, context as an American Christian, um, you know, living in an urban setting in the American South, um, you know, I'm a nonprofit professional and I write and talk about these things quite a bit as well. Uh, but I'm doing all that in a, in a really diverse church environment. Um, as far as like Memphis is a very diverse city. We have a lot of different types of churches and Christians who are, who are, you know, we're all dealing with the the vestiges of slavery and Jim Crow and, and racism that show up in our city and in all kinds of big and small ways. Um, and a lot, a lot of the churches in my, you know, area of the country are in, are in a various, various forms of decline, uh, really no matter where they, they fall in, in the Christian faith. Um, and so, so when I look at, you know, that setting that I'm in, I kind of see a few themes emerge. Um, I think the the biggest one and, and, you know, you can, you see this play out online too, because this, I think this is happening at the national level to a certain degree. Um, but you know, there's this dynamic of, it feels like it's kind of white evangelicals against the world right, right now. Um, and in other parts of American Christianity, whether you're Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, whatever, there's a lot of other Christians who are looking in, into white evangelical spaces with a lot of concern and confusion and 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 trying to to figure out how they can, you know, perhaps help that's that part of the church kind of move forward in, in a healthier way. Um, but there's I think there's a lot of interest from other from Christians who who, you know, don't identify as white evangelicals to help, but there's really not a lot of at least in my experience, I haven't seen a lot of white evangelicals reaching out and looking for for outside help. Um, so, so that's one thing I've noticed, and I would imagine some people listening to this have noticed, uh, you know, similar things as well. Um, I think the other, yeah, I think I listed like five or six things I noticed in my context, but I'll just share share one more for now. Um, you know, there's this very interesting phenomenon right now of there's this rise of post, I guess you could say post right right wing Christians. Um, and, and that rise really seems to be accelerating. So people who are coming out of fundamentalism or more extreme kind of corners of American evangelicalism, um, 
I think recently I've, I've met a few former, or I guess they would, they would call themselves recovering, uh, right wing Catholics. <laughs> Those have been some really interesting conversations, but, um, but yeah, you know, you you talk to to people who have left those spaces and you listen to, to their stories and you know, a lot of them have theological views and political and cultural views that are kind of all over the place, but something that unites them is that they're they're very suspicious of the institutional church. So like the, you know, the building on the street corner with with people in it. Um and they're also they also seem to be uneasy talking to to other Christians who don't share that suspicion. Um, and you know that's that's just something interesting i I think I've noticed is and that there's some um I think a lot of the 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 complaints they have about the spaces they come out of are very accurate and very real. Um, but I think you know a lot of those people are still trying to figure out exactly what comes what comes next for them. And sometimes I think, having been in this place myself at one point, it can be, it can be difficult to talk to other Christians who maybe have some different views than you because <laughs> you're not, you're not used to, to, to hearing those things. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, you know, if you could offer a few examples of like the kinds of, uh, the kinds of things that people are, compl- the complaints that they have coming out of those contexts, like, what are some of the common things that led them to leave that context? <clears throat> yeah, um, I think the I think the one you hear about a lot online is various forms of abusive language, or unfortunately, sometimes physical or, or sexual abuse, um, kind of an authoritarianism that that hovers in the background behind behind specific bad experiences like that. But I think, you know, when you actually talk to to these people, something that comes up, at least in my conversations with them, I hear again and again, is that they were sold a bill of goods about their past church, the theological framework at that church, um, cultural views, um, and maybe how the Bible is approached that none of those things could deliver on. Um so most most of these people seem to have ended up watching their institutions purposely live against some of their own stated beliefs in some really some really sharp and destructive ways. Um, and then when those people raised their hand and and said like I have questions or I have a problem with with this, you know, they were uh, through various different measures essentially forced out of out of the their their church. Um, so you know that's. I think the past years I've had those conversations. I think that's been, I think more of the driving, at least what I'm seeing is more of the driving force today behind, behind some of these complaints is that they feel like um, at best they were misled about what it means to, to follow Jesus and live in community with other Christians. And I think unfortunately, um, and there's, I think there's a lot of truth to this at worst, you know, they were outright lied to about some things and um you know, if you've been in a space like that for sometimes decades, and now you've learned that, you know, your church or your belief system was built on something that wasn't entirely true or sometimes outright false, um, that's, you know, that that's that's just a, a you know, a, a crisis for people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you mentioned earlier that kind of 
generally speaking, there seems to be kind of a, a mindset among a lot of white evangelicals that it's like us against the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, in Kristen Coves DeMay's book, uh, Jesus and John Wayne, mm -hmm. you know, it argues that that's been the mindset of white American evangelicalism for at least 75 yeah. years. <laughs> so, you know, it's really, you know, some people even date it back to like the Scopes monkey trial, um, you know, the, in the wake of that, there was a lot of negative rhetoric toward Christians. Like, how do they believe this stuff? And, yeah. <laughs> and the response was not to refine our beliefs, you know, in, in light of new knowledge, but rather to kind of become more insular, you know, hunker down and like, you know, well, let's just ignore them and let's go over here. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and that's really continued um, throughout the present day to a large degree of, you know, we're, this is what we believe and anyone who says different is out to get us or they're untrustworthy. Um, and just, you know, and it becomes this kind of oppositional dynamic, which then filters into the discourse. Mm. So when someone within the community says, well, hold on a minute, what about this? Or what about that? Um, this seems a little hypocritical or this seems inconsistent. They kind of get shoved out and lit yeah. into the group that's, trying to get us you know yeah <laughs> and and so it seems like the christian discourse especially that kind of us versus them mentality is very related to some of those instances or examples of people feeling like they're pushed out or or ostracized for asking some questions um or pushing for us to be more like christ um mm -hmm. Does that fit your observation? Like, what's your re your response to all that? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree with all of that. I think, you know, uh, I guess refining something you you said a little bit more. So much of American evangelicalism today feels like it's a belief system defined by its supposed enemies. <laughs> like, this has come up in some of my conversations too, and I. I think there's a lot of truth behind this. There's a certain degree where, or a certain point you reach where you have to start questioning, like what a what do white evangelicals in this country actually stand for? They tell you what they don't stand for. Like I think everyone's pretty aware of what those things are, but but I don't, you know, I don't. I know some evangelicals who sincerely love Jesus, but they're probably more, I guess, in the vein of like global evangelicalism, which is quite beautiful. And there's some really cool things going on there. Um, but yeah, it, it really does feel like so much of today's evangelicalism is defined by its enemies. And like you said, when that's the, the posture, you know, of course the, you know, that's going to negatively affect just about every conversation evangelicals have with people who are outside of their communities. And it's also going to cause some problems in their, in their communities. Cause all you're doing is looking out for, for enemies and gatekeeping and you're not actually looking at moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it becomes very hard to even have good faith conversations and questions about anything related to faith, you know, because mm -hmm. it's like, well, these are our beliefs and someone's like, well, I just, you know, read this book or this article, or I've been thinking about this, or I had this life experience. And now I'm, you know, what if it's actually this? And it's like, no, no, stop. 
<laughs> you know, stop, stop that because this is what we believe. And if you don't believe this, then you, you can't be part of the group. Yeah. Um, and so this kind of, we're kind of anticipating my next question, but you know, why does the larger Christian discourse matter for one's personal faith? You know, like, why does it matter that, you know, John MacArthur tells Beth Moore to go home and be quiet. <laughs> yeah. you know, how does that larger, uh, if you want to use the word elite Christian discourse affect, you know, people's personal faiths and their local churches or communities? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that can play out in a, in a lot of ways. You know, you, you mentioned uh, Kristen Dumay's book, Jesus and John Wayne, where she, part of her argument is that American evangelicalism is essentially just a consumer culture, right? So if you you think about like how that that plays out, you know, John MacArthur says Beth Moore should go home. 24, 48 hours pass. Next thing you know, Beth Moore is getting ripped apart online by, you know, the the Theo bro type <laughs> type people. But but then ordinary people in ordinary churches who take John MacArthur seriously don't trust Beth Moore anymore. And suddenly her Bible studies aren't part of the church, you know? And so, so it can play out, it can play out that way. And, and that, it, you know, again, the, the kind of enemy rhetoric um, kind of pushes people into more insular bubble, but, you know, there's another side of that coin too. And that, and this is something I, you know, I run into every week um, is that, ordinary Christians are having to answer for a lot of these really destructive things that people are doing and saying in the name of Jesus, even when we don't agree with those things. Right. Um, so, you know, just to give an example, when, when people who are not believers find out that I'm a Christian, most of that initial, or that I am a Christian, most of that conversation is me having to explain what I don't believe instead of what I believe, right? Because, sure. you know, they, they see elite Christians online saying and doing terrible things. And, and I'm having to answer for a lot of that, even though I want nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have to tell people like, no, I'm not a crazy Republican or no, I'm not a Christian nationalist. And yes, I think January 6th was bad. <laughs> You know, you know, the, the, the list goes, goes on and on. Um, and I'm, I'm more than willing to, to denounce things like that. I think we all should, but I think that's a sign of the times that the broader Christian public witness has been dragged through the mud, um, so much, especially the past, you know, 10 years that, that, you know, nine times out of 10, it feels like I'm having to answer for things that a very loud group of people who, identifies Christians are pushing onto the country that I, you know, vehemently disagree with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that analysis too, you know, and that's one reason why I personally am interested in kind of the larger discourse, you know, mm. it's easy, it's easy to say, well, yes, but there are lots of Christians who aren't saying awful things to other people sure. you know there are, are lots of christians who are really devout faithful loving people serving jesus and serving their communities yes that's all true but the people with the largest platforms and the largest megaphones are creating a picture for everyone you know yeah. <laughs> that everyone has to then deal with or encounter to some degree um yeah so how can we help improve christian discourse <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I mentioned a few things in, in the essay I wrote, I'll kind of quickly run through them. Cause I think they're all really relevant. I think the big one, and this probably applies, should apply to all of American culture right now, just not, not just the church, but I think a lot of us need to be real friends with people that we have real disagreements with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most Christians in my neck of the woods are inside cultural bubbles, um, not just off offline, but also also online that are sealed from outside perspective and critique. And, um, you know, I have seen some Christians when they actually do hear outside perspective and critique and realize like, oh, there's actually something here. And this, you know, this person's making a good point and, and they do change. Um, so, so that's, I think one thing we could all do. Um, I think the second thing is we could all probably do a better job at uh, assuming that we have theological and cultural blinders um, and being open to others showing us what, you know, what those are. Um, I think, you know, to believe that any of us have the once and for all truth on like everything big and small, um, that only leads us to trying to impose our views on our culture um, and each other. Uh, and we essentially become failed colonizers instead of um, the heralds of change that uh, that Christ offers. Um, and, you know, Jesus said we would be known by our love, <laughs> not by our correct theology or the, or the enforcement of that theology, <laughs> right? Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I think assuming that we all have some blinders would, would, would help a lot. Um, the third thing, uh, you know, I think it's really good to, to, and this kind of goes hand in hand with the second thing, but I think asking questions, um, instead of just making up straw man arguments and weapon, weaponizing the Bible, um, is a much healthier approach. Um, you know, I hear probably like you, Eric, I hear things I disagree with all the time. And, you know, I, I used to like many years ago would find essentially the worst version of that thing I disagree with and and apply that to everyone who thinks that way. And I think, you know, after a lot of self-training and, and getting around more and more people who don't look and think like I do, um, I've, I've, I've really come to realize that it's better to listen to real experts and people who have lived experience who have a disagreement with me. Um, and, and essentially seek out, seek out the best version of the opposing argument, as opposed to, to just kind of making a knee jerk decision about what I, about what I think about it. Um, so, you know, for me as someone who's, you know, theologically, I guess a theological normie, I was just actually called that nothing. Uh, but is you know uh you know on the 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 left end of of the political spectrum i think it's really important for someone in my shoes to to find serious conservative voices so you know maybe someone along the lines of of uh of david french or, or you know russell moore or you know those those types of people um to kind of act as a uh a check on you know uh, maybe running into my own form of authoritarianism. <laughs> but, <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I think the, the, the fourth thing, um, and this, I, you know, this is really these last two things. I think we have to hold intention. In um, but I think, 
unfortunately, there are some people in the world who just have bad motivations and who operate in bad faith. And, you know, the silver lining of our post-Trump, post-COVID world, you know, if we're actually in that, is that a lot of those types of people are saying out loud that their motivations are bad and that they're they're operating in bad faith. Um, so, I, you know, I think for those of us who are in a good mental mental space, uh, you know, we should engage with those people and try to, to help them see that there's a better way to, to, to go about whatever it is they're doing. Um, but I do think at some point, and I don't know when this is, I think a lot of it's probably situational, but I think there does come a time when you just have to walk away from those people and just leave them to, you know, live in what, whatever it is they're after. Um, you know, I, I've, shared part of my story with you before. And so I, I won't rehash it all here, but for our family, a few years ago, that looked like walking away from a church that we thought we'd be wed to for life, just because they're, they're reached a point that there had been so much dishonesty and, um, bad motivations that, you know, there essentially would never be a path forward there. Um, and you know, that was, that was a hard time, but you know, we're in a much better better place now. And, and I've really come to understand that walking away was one of the best decisions our family has, has made so far. Um, but yeah, the, I think the, the, the last thing, um, and you know, this is a, this is a big one cause we do live in a very online world, but I think when we're engaging with other Christians online who we may disagree with, um, you know, it's really important to consider who their audience is. Um, you know, Eric, I'm sure you've had this experience, but I sometimes get angry emails and comments from people, uh, who I don't know, <laughs> who for some reason think I'm writing directly to them or about them, um, and have taken personal offense, even though I've never met them before and have no idea what their context is <laughs> or anything like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, that used to, to bother me a lot, but, uh, you know, I guess it, you know, that's just kind of par for the course now, but I think I've come to really understand that it's not worth letting any abuser of the Christian faith have power over you. Um, so like when people come at me online, you know, I might scroll through their Twitter profile for a minute just to kind of see what they're about. Um, and I, I know Twitter doesn't define who a person is, but I think it, does allow for people to say some things that they might not say out loud <laughs> verbally. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a window into, into the soul in some ways, I think. Um, but, but, you know, if there's a lot of ugly stuff there and, you know, you can just kind of see they're trolling people. I just, I just mute or block them just cause it's like, you know, what's the there, you know, there's no point in, in engaging with this. Um, you know, some, some of, I guess, like the Theo bro type guys online, it really does seem like they just, want to be miserable and that they want to make everyone else as miserable <laughs> as they are. And, and like, I don't want to live like that. So, um, you know, but, you know, I, I do think sometimes too, though, um, you know, there are some really egregious things that are posted online that are very direct at specific people. Um, and, you know, I think it's good for other Christians to hop in online at that point and say like, Hey, this isn't okay. Like you need to back off. Um, but I, I think bigger picture, I think it's better to focus on building, you know, 
local communities in the real world that are good and healthy so that more people feel feel safe um, to leave those harmful voices and spaces um, in the dust where, where they belong. Yeah, yeah, I think that those are great suggestions and ideas. And you know, it's interesting you mentioned uh, David French um, because he actually came to my mind as you were talking. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think David French is a great example of a, a more conservative evangelical Christian. I don't agree with him on everything, but he is a reasonable person who wants to, he presents views he doesn't agree with in their best version, like you mm-hmm. were saying. And he really genuinely wants to arrive at what he thinks is the best or most supportable position or opinion or action. Um, you know, I think he's a great example of, you know, someone, you know, following someone outside your bubble who is, um, a serious person, you know, yeah. whereas then there are people like Ben Shapiro or Charlie Kirk. <laughs> I don't think that they're really serious. You know, I think yeah. they are more interested in the trolling to build a platform, to monetize it, you know, yeah. <laughs> than they are in genuine, you know, intellectual and spiritual discussion or debate. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think those are great suggestions, you know, I mean, getting around diverse people, diverse experiences, but also being humble enough to acknowledge, acknowledge, I don't know everything. And, you know, I haven't experienced everything. I can learn from them. Um, And then I think that that would make a huge difference in Christian discourse. I mean, you know, thinking about like the George Floyd protests and Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter. I mean, if you're in a 99% white church, it could be really easy to look around and say like, I don't know what these people on TV are talking about. And I don't know sure, what the protesters yeah. are upset about. And, but if you have a little bit more diverse church or diverse experience, or just, you know, try to learn from diverse voices, um, you realize, Oh, like there's a, there are people with completely different experiences. <laughs> yeah. Had, you know, and if I'd had their experiences, I might feel much like they feel, you know, and I yeah. might be saying and advocating some of the same things they're saying and advocating. Um, and you know, and if maybe not, but I at least could understand where they're coming from. They're not bad, evil people because yeah. there's differences and, I think that's too much of what larger Christian discourse has done for decades now is like, well, this is the right thing to believe. And if you don't believe that you're bad, you know, you're, yeah. <laughs> and, and you're probably a threat. You're probably out to get us. Yeah. So we've got to really be on our guard. And, and that's just not, you know, that's not what Jesus models. That's not what scriptures and the Bible model. And it's not how Christianity has grown and thrived over the centuries. And, and uh, like you said, it's not a good way to live ultimately, you know, for us in our own faith or our own lives. Um, so Mark, thank you for so much for your, this conversation. Um, yeah. Are there any other topics or points you want to address or anything you want to share with the, with our listeners? Yeah, I had, um, yeah, I'll share one thing briefly. Mm-hmm. I this is probably jumping back to about halfway through our, um, conversation we were talking about issues in Christian discourse. Um, I think this is something all of us could do a better job of, of kind of uh, uh, calling out, but there is, um, 
I guess this really boils down to, to why I, I wrote this piece. So, you know, you mentioned Kristen Dumay and Beth Allison Barr earlier. Um, you know, there was a, a piece posted on uh, Current, which is like a kind of centrist evangelical thing online. It's, I guess, like a journal, I guess. I guess that's how you, yeah. you describe it as. But, um, but yeah, it, uh, it essentially framed... Uh, it was essentially trying to get at this problem of of how do we understand what what our discourse is, and I think that's a a good and honest question we need to to ask of like how do we get to where we are and what is it and how do we how do we all do better? Um, but you know, it's somewhere in that piece, you know, there were several people who are very orthodox, thoughtful Christians who were essentially maligned for um, for some of the frankly truth that they have. That they have spoken and you know that really as i was reading that piece it really helped crystallize some something for me which oftentimes we talk about issues on the right or the left and the center is treated the center you know quote unquote i'm doing air, air quotes for people who can't see this <laughs> um doesn't get any criticism at all um and i think what i have seen is perhaps one of the reasons we've seen this rise of, you know, on one side, militant progressivism that in some way there's, it's a very small world. There are some, there are some truly scary things happening in it, but it's like a tiny, tiny, like less than 1% of the population probably. And then the, the rise of kind of the authoritarian or the resurgence of the, the authoritarian uh, far right um, I think one of the reasons there is growth on both of those ends is that the the center has not given us a way forward. Um, and a lot of centrist elites are um, are increasingly being seen as incompetent, um, arrogant, out of touch, um, and, and and ineffective. Like you, you referenced Black Lives Matter a minute ago and how if you're in like a 99% white church, you're probably not going to understand what the problem is in the world. Um, and but I think a lot of those people would describe themselves as centrist, even though they might, they're probably more center right, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, a lot of centrist, especially elite kind of voices in those spaces will constantly describe themselves as being like exhausted by culture warring, which like, I get that <laughs> I'm there. Um, but many of them aren't really willing to actually do anything of substance to, to go after some of the, some of the problems, some of the very real problems that not just our country's facing, but people in their churches are facing. And I think, you know, this this piece on current that that you know kind of led to an out, uh, explosion of a lot of anger online and then also me writing writing this piece on christian discourse you know part of that part of that piece was it really showed kind of the arrogance that has that has risen up and and more centrist kind of Christian spaces of thinking like, well, we're at the center. So therefore we are automatically right and have this figured out. And it's like, like guys, we're kind of here because y'all don't have this figured out. <laughs> um, sure. And, 
you know, and, and, and there is like a, I call it in my piece, like a centrist authoritarianism. That's kind of, that's kind of risen up of like centrists can be just as bad at not listening and not putting themselves in diverse settings to get different views, just as much as people on the left and right or, or wherever else, uh, uh, on the, on the spectrum are. Um, and yeah, I just think that's, you know, I think probably the past, at least online, probably the past like six to nine months, there's kind of been more people starting to notice this issue. And I think, um, I think all of us out here who are trying to think about these things and, and try to move, move the ball forward in our own communities and try to, you know, hopefully through that improve the national discourse. That's something we really need to take into account is that, um, our, uh, our centrist, believers, you know, whatever, whatever that means, because it means different things to different people. Um, they're not innocent in this either. Just like, just like I'm not just like you aren't just like everyone else who's trying to figure this out aren't. Um, and, and we, uh, they, they deserve accountability just as much as we do. So, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that's a really great challenge to many of our listeners and and really people in our churches that, you know, if you consider yourself to be in the middle, you know, just in my experience and observation and thinking about people I know, you know, people who consider themselves to be in the middle may tend to kind of check out of a lot of discussions, you know, that happens too. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's, you know, I, I'm not really into the politics or the, you know, church, you know, politics or church infighting or anything like that. I'm just going to like do my thing, but that, you know, that can have a lot of different negative effects from just not being informed about those issues that are important to and affecting people, but also then not lending your voice to support, you know, what would be a more Christ-like approach, you know, um, trying to think of a good example offhand, but like, well, like Black Lives Matter might be a good example. You, yeah. know, like, <laughs> you know, you might consider yourself in the middle and you're like, why? Well, yeah, I mean, racism is bad and, you know, police brutality isn't okay, but also I support the police. Like, okay, so instead of like staying out of that conversation or yeah. allowing, you know, the loudest voices and megaphones to dominate that conversation, you know, maybe instead you like step in and say like, no, like it's not okay to just dismiss the experiences of our, you know, black and brown siblings in Christ. And, mm -hmm. you know, no, it's not okay to like demonize the police either. Like, you know, let's figure out a way forward together. Um, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in uh, his famous essay letter from Birmingham jail that he was most disappointed in the white moderate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the people in the middle who kind of just stood by and didn't support civil rights or didn't support it as strongly or loudly as they could or should have. And um, and now I find I think we find ourselves in a similar uh position now with like Christian nationalism, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's an ideology that, you know, if you're if you consider yourself in the middle and you know just a little bit about it. It sounds it sounds good. Of course, you know Christian values should influence the government. <laughs> and, and yeah. <laughs> of course, why not? That's a good thing. Yeah. But then, when you if you get out, if you take that responsibility for learning more about it and learning from experts who say, well, you know, if you follow that through, and if you learn more, they say a lot of other things too that are actually kind of disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then maybe you speak out against that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I think those are, those are great points. I think you're, you know, you're bringing up the, the Christian, Christian nationalist piece. I think that's probably one of the biggest areas, this, you know, the quote unquote center of the American Christian world has really failed is failed in calling that out and saying like, Hey, you follow some of what they're saying to its logical conclusion. You might as well, you know, that's the blood and soil politics of Nazi Germany. That's where that ends. And a lot of centrists seem to be, because I think a lot of, a lot of people who describe themselves as centrist are really center, right? Which, um, I have center right friends. I, I mean, they're great. I love them and they're really smart and loving people, but you know, because they're on, they're, they're really center, right. They are closer to some of those more fundamentalist or Christian nationalist types and sometimes inhabiting, uh, institutions like, and, you know, some of those people might be in their church and, and they know that they speak out like, and they're right. Like it's going to cause conflict and some, some immediate problem <laughs> problems, yeah. but I think you also have to, I think it'd be better to ask like, Hey, if I don't speak out, like, where does, where does this end? And you don't have to, at least in where I live, like you don't have to look around very hard to see where that ends, where people are leaving churches or churches are splitting or dying or, or, you know, whatever, like the, the result of not speaking out against Christian nationalism is pretty much death in every way imaginable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we could, you don't necessarily, I don't think that, you know, you necessarily have to like go into your next, you know, church board meeting and pound your fists on the table, but, sure. <laughs> you know, but when you, hear people say, oh, that's Samuel Perry's always talking about Christian nationalism. He's just a woke, you know, liberal. Yeah. <laughs> when you hear that, you maybe stand up for Samuel Perry. Like actually he's a sociologist who has a lot of data to back up what he's saying. And, yeah, you know, and cause that's, you know, going back to the point about discourse. I mean, when you have Samuel Perry or Dumay or Barr, you know, um, ringing the alarm bell about Christian nationalism or patriarchy in the church or whatever, often they get described pejoratively as, oh, well, they're woke and yeah. they <laughs> therefore don't listen to them. Don't take their ideas seriously. And their yeah. ideas should be taken seriously um, because they've got a lot of data and a lot of research and expertise to back up what they're saying. And, you know, if you start, listening to diverse perspectives, just even within your own church, you know, talking to some of those people who left six months ago, you know, why did yeah. they leave? You know, oh, it's because of this Christian nationalism stuff going unchecked or this, you know, these complementarian gender roles getting taught and promoted, um, you mm -hmm. know, might, might be something else completely different, but I, it just, you know, when you're thinking about what the moderates and the center or center right can do, you know, maybe it's as simple as not dismissing or allowing others to dismiss uncomfortable ideas out of hand, but instead let's talk about this and discuss. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with all that. I think so, something else that, um, because there is like a, a consumer culture, um, element to, not just American evangelicalism, but there, I mean, there's even more left-leaning denominations and churches that have a consumer culture element. I don't know if we can, because of our American context, I don't know if we'll ever be able to fully escape that. Like that might just be part of our, <laughs> our reality. But I, I think 
probably one of the more challenging things is when you start looking at, uh, and I've talked to, to evangelical pastors about this, um, who have kind of stumbled into me online and are dealing with this problem in their church of like, how to, how do they start pushing back on some of this stuff in a way that is effective as opposed to just blowing everything up? And, um, and I, I, I think that that's a great question, but one of the things, as you talk to them, they start realizing like, Hey, I've been using some of James Dobson's materials or John MacArthur's materials or John Piper's materials. And these are people that ordinary congregation members like uphold, like there are those people are on a pedestal. Yeah. And if you start saying like if an evangelical pastor says like, Hey, you know, I, I agree with, uh, you know, these men on some things, but I think when it comes to their approach to, to politics and, and things like that, I think it can be pretty destructive. Like that's going to make some people very angry because, because, and the people it's going to make angry are the people who have really struggled to figure out that following Jesus and following John MacArthur are not the same thing. Right. Yeah. You know, um, like, and, and that, it's really interesting dynamic in that as Protestants, you know, we're supposed to believe in the priesthood of all believers yet. And a lot of, um, I guess more politically conservative, uh, Christian spaces in, in the United States, we have essentially created a new priesthood in some ways through a, through a consumer culture. And, um, I would, uh, suggest that some of those priests, or people acting as priests don't have our best interests at heart. So, so, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, at minimum, it's worth asking the question, you know, what, what do their motivations seem to be? You know, how do they, you know, spend their money? How do they live their yeah. lives? Um, how consistent are they in living out their values and the values they tell others to live by? Um, yeah. I think that's a great point. And, you know, it's a, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, certain figures are held up on a pedestal. And then if you come out and disagree with them or you kind of subtly start, you know, shifting the curricula in another direction, you know, people might react negatively to that. But then also, I mean, say from the other direction, you you decide, you know, well, I'm just going to try to introduce more diverse perspectives. So let's do a small group study on Jamar Tisby's book, How to Fight Racism. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then people might be upset, like, what's this woke stuff? And then all the people in the middle, the moderates are like, oh, I didn't know Jamar Tisby was woke. What are we doing? You know, because they, you know, familiarize themselves with the debate that much because they're just, you know, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but there's, they are more interested in other things in life than, you know, politics or church politics or Christian discourse. You know, I, yeah. I, I've heard someone say, you know, it's hard to overestimate how to people inside the, the Washington DC beltway, it's really hard for them to understand just how profoundly uninterested in politics, the rest of the country. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that happening too with with Christianity that, you know, there are some people that are like really intensely interested in all these topics we've talked about and are familiar with some of the key people and what they say and don't say. And, and then there are, you know, the majority of people that just, they come to church on Sunday and they maybe attend a Bible study and they're not keeping track of this stuff and on their radar. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's something I've really come to understand the the past few years is there are a lot of uh, good people, thoughtful people who come to church, really do love Jesus, really do love their neighbors well. Um, but they don't always ask that question of like, where's this information I'm getting coming from? Yeah. And cause I, I think that is something the more darker aspects of American evangelicalism has been very successful at is like, you will get the story of Jesus in American evangelicalism. You, you will like, that's true, but there's going to be all, there's going to be some other stuff that gets trafficked in with that, that, um, could generously be described as extra biblical, right? Right. So, you know, you mentioned like the whole gender role, gender role thing, like a lot of, uh, uh, complementarians, you know, people who believe in male headship and only male pastors. Um, I have found the past two years, especially those people have never heard a true egalitarian argument. Uh, or, you know, or any other argument, cause you know, it's not just, you can be complementarian or egalitarian. There's a host of things in between too. Right. And when you can actually get those people to, to start examining the passages of scripture where women are put forward and women do preach and, uh, or women do lead or, or, or read a book like the making a biblical woman or something like that, like two things tend to happen is their views start to soften and then they're angry that no one has told them this stuff before. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, so I, I think your point of, uh, you know, trying to bring in more diverse uh, information sources, uh, maybe not people right away, just cause you know, that might be j- jarring, but if you can bring in, bring in a book or a Bible study from someone who's kind of outside of a, a specific Christian space, like that can kind of help people start realizing that like, Hey, maybe there's, maybe some of these people I disagree with are actually just as faithful to following Jesus as I am. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Well, said. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mark, we're uh, getting close to the, to an hour and I don't want to take up more of your <laughs> busy life than I, than I, then you generously, you know, offered here. So, um, Mark, is there, you know, do you want to remind re- listeners again, like how they can support your work with Operation Broken Silence and, you know, support your writing or, or take any other actions that it would be, that you think would be beneficial? Yeah. So, um, you know, if you want to help our partners in Sudan, um, you know, move the, move their communities forward uh, in the midst of what they're facing. Uh, you can just go to operationbrokensilence.org. Um, and from there you can make a donation or set up a, a small monthly gift and, and, and also learn really more about the Sudanese people and and their story and, and, and where they, where they hope their country is going to be, uh, in the, in the next few decades. Um, and yeah, if you're interested in, you know, Christian discourse and, and American church culture and some, super nerdy things like that. Um, uh, I have my own website now. It's uh, markhackett.com. Um, all of my writings and my very, very limited, like one episode a year podcast is, <laughs> is there. Um, and there's also a, a newsletter you can you can sign up for if you want uh, those writings and, and conversations uh, sent directly to you. Great. Excellent. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, I, I'll uh, send you an email when this is live. I'm planning to schedule it for this coming Monday. So okay. yeah, thank you, Mark. I appreciate cool. it. Cool.
Yeah, it was fun. It was good talking to you again. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, take care and, and your best to your family. Or my yeah, family. you as well. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey, well, there you have it. I really enjoyed that conversation with Mark. Um, I think he makes a lot of really good, insightful points. Um, really has some strong analysis of kind of where we're at currently and some good suggestions for how we can improve the state of Christian discourse or in more simple terms, just the way Christians talk to and interact with other people, including each other. You know, I really do, you know, as an English teacher and a person who specializes and studies in rhetoric and the art of persuasion and all that, I really am very interested in and concerned about um, kind of the larger discourse of Christianity in America. You know, the most platformed voices, the loudest voices, the, those are the ones that shape the way Christians are perceived, like Mark mentioned. But it also, I think, affects the way Christians think of themselves and the way we then live out and practice our faith. Um, so, you know, for certain segments of American Christianity, you know, it's very common to have this embattled self-perception that we're in a battle, we're threatened by secularists or secularism, we're um, threatened by atheists or atheism, where um, the culture is against us. And we don't want to give in to culture, we want to be countercultural. I mean, there are books, there have been books published with that title, Countercultural, that make that argument. Um, there have been tons of other, you know, prominent Christians and Christian books and speakers who make similar arguments. Well, if that's your, if those are the loudest voices and those are the ones you're listening to, or those are the ones that are getting, you know, put on front and center in Lifeway's bookshelves or front and center in Lifeway's website, or that, um, you know, those are the, the right now media Bible studies that are getting, you know, promoted heavily, either on the platform itself or by your churches. If that's, you know, the discourse that you're uh, absorbed in and you're absorbing it, it's going to be hard to do some of the things Mark mentioned, like be humble and acknowledge you don't have it all figured out. You don't know everything um, that, you know, we're known as Christians, we're known by our love, not by the right beliefs, not by the right uh, behaviors, even. Um, we are, you know, you know, Jesus himself, he healed the, the servant of the Roman centurion. He uh, did things for people who were not Jews, <laughs> who, who were not, uh, the, didn't have the right beliefs, didn't necessarily practice the right rituals or the right behaviors and who were not even part of the same group, right? And so obviously as Christians, you know, to follow Jesus means to be humble enough to acknowledge we don't know it all. We don't have it all figured out, but also we don't need to feel threatened by or be threatened by others. And we don't need to defend ourselves against others and their ideas just because they're different, just because they're, they have a different experience or perspective that leads them to different conclusions. You know, I love what Mark said that there are a lot of people who maybe have different beliefs or opinions or viewpoints um, that are also trying to love and follow Jesus as best they can, right? And so if we're humble and admit that we don't have it all figured out, that our way is not the only way to be a Christian, um, and then we are open to learning from diverse perspectives and experiences and um, 
interpretations of scripture and church tradition. And then we might at least understand where other people are coming from and then be able to be unified as believers in the body of Christ within our diversity, right? The Bible, I don't believe that the Bible and Jesus commands uniformity, but rather that we are united as diverse people, um, that those differences don't divide us and uh, cause strife and conflict among us. Okay, so thank you as always for listening and please share this episode wherever you um, listen to podcasts or where, you know, rate and review us, post to social media, tell friends and family about us. Uh, it's the best way to help the podcast grow and reach more people.